Welcome to Dad Pod, episode nine, season two, Charlie Clausen, Osher Ginsberg, as we are coming towards the home stretch of season two. We're uh, trying to really put a stamp on, make the definitive how-to through pregnancy. Like, you'll never need to pick up another book about oh, pregnancy. Gosh, what are you doing? You're setting us up for a massive there's, fail. There's please never, don't like, you'll not, you'll not need a what to expect when you're expecting. Like, all that stuff is, this season of Dad Pod is all you will ever need. Don't say that. If there is a pregnancy about? that you are involved with. No. Put all the other books down. Burn no, them. No, don't do that. This podcast. Supplement your reading. Is, please don't. The definitive guide. Don't listen to anything else. Please listen to a lot of things. <laughs> Take in a lot of information. Use a lot of sources. Choose what works for you. Don't rely on any one information source. That's how the world is in the situation it is right now. Not enough critical thinking. Not far out, man. Not enough critical thinking and just a hell of a problem with communication. And if you're listening to this in five years, we've recorded this in the middle of a, a pandemic lockdown. So mm. you probably have a fair idea about what we did next or or you remember what it was like. But we're in the middle of it right now. Charlie's less than a kilometre from my house, but yep. we're uh, connecting to each other at about 28 kilobits a second over apparently a broadband network. And mm. <laughs> not that either of us are bitter about it. Sometimes a broadband network, sometimes my phone, because depending on the day of the week and what the wind is doing, sometimes I have NBN access at my house and sometimes I don't. I live, well, what, less than 10 kilometers from the biggest city in Australia and I still can't get NBN. Thanks, Malcolm. We literally live, from your house to the exchange, I'm going to say it's probably three kilometers, not even, two and a half kilometers to the exchange. Yeah. It's a shame. It's bloody terrible. <laughs> but we're pushing on. We're pushing on with advice for expectant fathers and, and people who maybe need a refresher if they're expecting a second child. Because yeah. when we did the uh, first series, Osh and I were in the midst of it. We didn't really know what was going on. And we thought, you know what, why don't we revisit that first nine months of pregnancy leading up to birth and see if we can bring some more enlightenment to it, some more facts and so that's what we're doing in this series yeah. of Dad Pod. Far more facts, but way less sleep, uh, which yeah. is what's happening for everybody at the mm. moment here at our house, at least. Yeah. When when we did do the first season, like you said, we were in the middle of it, and we were trying to juggle not only recording a podcast but also bringing new lives into the world. So sleep was a, too much of a priority to really think about anything else. But now I've had a bit of time to reflect on it. I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk to you today about money planning and planning for time off after baby is born. You know, I think you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that someone told you, you're getting a new flatmate, a flatmate that doesn't pay rent, eats everything. Uh, You're going to have to buy all their clothes, all their furniture. They're going to take up a whole room and Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're going to keep everybody awake all night and you're just going to have to deal with it. And I found that to be a really great way of framing what's going to happen and that there is a whole other human that's coming into your world but they will not be able to contribute financially whatsoever for at least 12 years, Charles Dickinson years, probably maybe 18 if it was mm. legal. And money worries is a fairly normal thing. Were you worried about money before uh, Iona showed up? I mean, we're both in a very volatile industry, so you're always kind of worried about money because you know that any at any stage, the phone will stop ringing and you won't have any work. But we had planned. We had been, you know, we've been saving for quite a bit of time. I mean, ostensibly saving to buy a house, but it all goes into the same kitty. Yeah. 
And so we kind of had an idea of where we were sitting financially leading up to the pregnancy. Therefore, we were able to work out, you know, time off and stuff. And so we had sort of agreed that Gemma had more guaranteed work coming up after the baby was born. So the idea was that she would take some time off, but then she would also be the first one to go back to work and I would take over full-time dad duties. So, yeah, we did plan. But having said that, the situation we're in now with COVID and stuff, all that goes out the window. So it is a case of planning, but also being flexible enough to know that situations can change. When it comes down to planning and and financial stuff, I was shitting myself. I was absolutely Mm. shitting myself because... I mean, much like yourself, I'm in a I'm in a seasonal industry, and so I started having a look around. And the good people at the Australian Institute of Family Studies, they've kind of come up with a figure that you oh. should plan for for the first year of your baby's life. You're going to need anywhere between, depending on what it is you feel is important, but anywhere between three thousand and thirteen thousand dollars extra to pay for everything you're going to need for the baby in that first year alone. So just give you an idea of of where that money might come out of and how you might adjust your budget and, you know, that holiday you thought you were going to take or do you really need that new set of golf clubs or, or whatever it is that you think that new camera lens in my, in my case. Uh, do you think these things are really important? It's anywhere between three and 13 grand is what you'll need cash-wise to make sure mm. you've got everything that baby will need for the first year. And then from then... I don't want to freak you out here, Charlie, but they did a calculation as to the average cost to get a kid to the age of 17, all right? Mm. So when, you know, basically a child that you are are providing for, Mm. the average cost of having a child and bringing that child all the way to the age of 17 over the course of those years is around Mm. $600,000, So which averages out to about an extra 35 grand a year, an extra 35 grand a year per kid that you'll need to... Make sure it works out. I seem to re- remember my father at some point reminding me and my eight siblings that if he'd stopped at one or two, he would have been a multimillionaire. <laughs> so I think I've been quite aware of that figure. Not in the exact uh, dollar terms, but I was aware of that figure at some point. <laughs> yeah. But there's stuff you can't skimp on. I mean, sure, there's hand-me-downs yeah. and things like that that you can get by on. I know we talked a lot about the miracle of Gumtree furniture on the first season, which really has been a godsend for us. But things like food, education, school uniforms, school books, all that kind of stuff, that is, you know, it's just start to get your head around. Now, bear in mind, they're cute and fun and amazing and worth every mm. dollar. And you kind of have to think about this sort of stuff as you go forward to get a realistic handle on where's that money going to come from? How are you going to do it? Particularly then with the extra pressure of like, are you going to stay home? How long are you going to take off work when the baby comes? What what did you guys do? Well, here's the good news, Osh, is uh, once that baby arrives, you'll find that you won't have the time nor the energy to spend any money on yourself <laughs> anyway. So a lot of that money, I think, it's just a a redistribution of funds, essentially. When I think about, you know, the life that Gemma and I had pre-child, there was a lot of kind of like eating out, travel, clothing, all that kind of stuff. But that has been funneled into the baby now. And, And I don't say that in a negative way, really. Like Gemma's greatest joy is to jump online. And now she doesn't really shop for herself anymore. She likes to shop for the baby. And she gets you know, just as much joy as putting together an outfit for Iona as she used to do for herself. So the planning around it was 
knowing how much we had in the bank and knowing what we were likely to earn in the next 12 months, we haven't gone as far as school fees. <laughs> we haven't yeah. gone as far as like when she uh, wants to do dance lessons or horse riding lessons. We just sort of gave ourselves a 12-month uh-huh. kind of bracket. And so we had just budgeted. I mean, it's as simple as just going, okay, well, this is what our outgoing expenses are. This is what we think. Well, look, this is all, you know, pre-corona. This is what we think uh, we'll be needing to spend money on. Uh, as it turns out, We've probably saved a lot more than we thought of because there's been nothing to do or, or places to go. But yeah, it feels like it's going to be more overwhelming because there's a life at stake. But if you've ever done a budget or if you've ever planned a trip or if you've ever budgeted around Christmas or anything like that, it's the same thing for us anyway. And what about time after baby arrived? What about time just with you and your partner and the baby? How much time did, did you guys take? So Jem probably took, uh, I went into full-time parent mode after about four months. But having said that, it's not like Jem has a nine to five. So, you know, she would have days which were busier than others. But a lot of the time it was just the two of us around. But that was always a plan was like Jem didn't want to take longer than that off. You know, in the kind of field she's in, it's sort of, you know, you're only as good as your last job. So you want to kind of keep working. So you stay, you know, fresh in people's minds. That's, you know, the life of a contractor essentially. So that was the idea was we felt like two months at a bare minimum, you know, three months uh, is probably getting towards what would be recommended and then four months was what we could afford. So we probably took an extra month on what's recommended. I reckon I had about six weeks, four or six weeks. We planned pretty hard and blissfully it happened right in a production break between the production of two shows. And I had about six weeks where... I think about after about three weeks, I was doing maybe one gig a week, just a day here or a day there. Mm. But I wasn't back to really intense stuff for about six weeks. And bear in mind, if I had a dream, a dream would have been to take the whole fourth trimester, the whole mm. first three months, just to be with family and with Audrey and learning the routines and learning the rhythms and, and making mm. sure that – because. Audrey was just so, she had not only given her body to bring this child into the world, what she then had to, and still does, give to bring the child sustenance, the amount Mm. of calories she needs to consume, the amount of sleep she needs to have to make sure she can feed baby, the amount of stuff, there's more laundry than you can ever imagine starts to happen. You know, there's Mm. more sterilizing, more bottle washing than you could possibly conceive of. And, you know, we spoke to Jet Wilkinson and she joked about it, but I don't want to be the 50s dad that fucks off to work and, and, and comes yeah. home and goes, how come dinner's not ready? You know, you want to, yeah. I, want to, I want to be as much as I can. I wanted to be there. And so if I did it again, I can't because I've had a vasectomy. But if I, had, <laughs> if I ever had it again, trying to plan to have as much of that first three months off as possible, not only for the sleep, but also just for the bonding, the family time, and to make sure that my partner felt the support and felt like she wasn't alone. Yeah, one of the best bits of advice that we were given in that first three months by our doula was to actually pre-make a bunch of meals to whack in the freezer because she said, you're going to be so delirious and eating at odd times and not sure, you don't want to be waiting for an Uber Eats delivery or trying to make something when you're half asleep and sitting your dressing gown on fire or whatever. So over the course of probably, I think, like two months leading up to it, anytime I do all the cooking at our place as well, anytime I was making a meal, I'd always make an extra portion to just put in the freezer. And you want to create foods that are going to be 
best describe is um, eatable with one hand <laughs> because chances are you're going to have a child in the other hand. You're going to be doing something else with the other hand. So, you know, it's not like you're going to be making like a meal of like a, three vegetables and meat and, you know, mashed potatoes and stuff. You just want things like soup. Lentil, I made a really amazing vegan lentil soup. You'll be happy to know, Osh. That was go a long way. I mean, stuff that uh, like legumes, they're, they're really high in protein and they're quite nourishing as well. Curries are great. Anything that you can sort of make in a big pot and then distribute into Tupperware to put in the freezer. Snacks are also really good. You can make protein balls, which are really simple. You just use dates, nuts, coconut oil. You can make uh, uh, healthy cookies out of almond meal. I just make almond meal, a little bit of maple syrup, coconut oil, and some dark chocolate. They're all really good when you sort of just need some energy. Fresh fruit is great as well. You can look at online grocery delivery. The point being, you don't want to have to think about facing a supermarket or having to make a meal. There's actually a bunch of really good pre-made meal services now as well, like HelloFresh. We know we experimented with them. So that's where they literally deliver you exactly the right amount of all the ingredients you're going to have to make your meal. So that's something you can look at doing as well. Maybe not you know, if you're strapped for cash, maybe not five nights a week, but they do do deals where you can do three nights a week. And so you can choose from about 20 different options on the menu and have that stuff delivered. And it's really easy to make up. What you're saying there about not wanting to face making a meal from scratch is super important because that's the thing that Audrey did talk a lot about. And uh, I know that Yumi, who we've had on the show as well, Yumi talks a lot about this, the idea of mental load, the idea of I've just gotten this baby to sleep. It's been a bit of war. There's been teething going on. I've gone through three mm. outfits in two hours. There's been avocado all over the place. There's poo down the leg, everything, everything. Now I've got to think about trying to make a meal for a family. Fucking hell. You know, that mental load, that, that's usually the thing. That's the moment that really breaks, you know, your day. Audrey would describe it as. So the idea of just being able to pull something out of the freezer, bung it in the oven or bung it in the microwave and hitting go, knowing that that's there is a great comfort. And when your friends get in contact with you and, you know, they want to know how they can help, just say, bring bring a plate. I mean, that is the best thing. My brother, he asked the girls at his work, he's like, oh, my little brother's just had a baby. I was thinking of getting some flowers or something. And all the women he worked with said, fuck the flowers, just make them a nice dish. And so he did. He brought around like a tuna pie that he'd made himself. He brought around a couple of cakes that he'd baked himself. So I think if you have those kind of relationships where people are going to be dropping around and they ask how they can help, just like ask them to bring like a bowl of soup or just something that you can, again, whack in the freezer. Just means, you know, if you can cut down on the meals you have to think about making during the day, you've got more time to, you know, just, and it's all really about enjoying and making the most of that first three months. We don't want to make it sound like you're going to be so stressed out that you won't be able to enjoy it. It's really also about, you know, not having to think about that stuff so you can enjoy this, you know, this new bubble you're in. Yeah. Did you guys access in Australia, if you're listening to this overseas, you don't live in the socialist paradise that we do. Did you guys access any of the kind of dad and partner pay stuff like that? Yes. Yeah. Gemma took maternity leave in the time she had off work. So that was fairly easy to access and set up. Felt very lucky that we live in a country where that kind of stuff is available. Yeah. But yeah, no, definitely, definitely access that. And there's two, uh, as the dad and partner, you also have access in Australia, at least, you have access to up to two weeks of government-funded pay at the national minimum wage, which is about $719 a week, which if you are in a kind of gig where you, you might not be able to take those two weeks, 
because you, you won't be able to make ends meet. 719 bucks might really help you think about being there because those first two weeks are just so important. It really mm. is so important. It's time to bond with baby. It's time to bond with your partner. It's time to kind of really set the tone for being there for each other and being there for the family. And yeah, that we live in a country where that's a possibility is is pretty great. There's, there's not too many hoops to jump through, as Charlie mentioned, but it is a bit trickier being a freelancer. But, mm. you know, if... Yeah. Uh, we're lucky that we live in a country where you can access that. Yeah, it's always interesting, like you know, with this COVID-19 stuff, you know, if anyone's uh, applying for job seeker or job keeper and you work in a creative industry, you'll know how kind of frustrating it is trying to explain your income <laughs> to a government body they don't seem to understand yeah. that one year you can earn X amount of dollars and then the next year you may earn, you know, like half of that or you may earn double that and none of these things are guaranteed. They want to know, well, we'll pay you this amount because this is what you're used to. It's like, well, no, I'm not used to, I'm used to every amount. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is for certain. You know, in many ways, I'm grateful that I've had steady work for the past couple of years, but I'm also grateful that I know what it is to not have steady work and so... I'm okay with uncertainty and I'm okay with the uncertainty of employment. Well, you don't have to worry, Osh, because, you know, as two highly paid podcasters, uh, you know, the most <laughs> lucrative industry in the world right now. It actually is. <laughs> For some. For some. For the top of the tree. We'll get there slowly. We'll get there slowly. So, Charlie, I'd like to get uh, an international dad in for our guest on the show today. Ooh. Yes. A genuine international? I mean, Jet Wilkinson was an international guest, but she's Australian, just living overseas, an expat. But this is a genuine yes. international guest. Yes, he is uh, one of seven, but he is famously known for being one of three brothers that are all in a band from the band Hanson, Charlie Clawson, Isaac Hanson. I believe you're in, you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, aren't you? I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I, I, am, I can almost guarantee that I am the very first guest on DadPod to be from Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mate, I'm, I'm grateful you can join us on the show. Uh, people who, who know me know that I'm a, I'm a big fan of you, a big fan of your band. Uh, people may not realize that I think at last count, the band Hanson has, I believe, 13 children between them. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I try and not count them collectively. I'm only responsible for three. <laughs> uh, the, the others, you know what? Good luck. I mean, you know, I'm a fantastic father. Those other kids, they're going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, on the show today, Isaac, Charlie and I have been talking about kind of before the first baby comes, before mm -hmm. baby comes, just kind of planning money and budgeting and thinking yeah. about time off. We're all in a seasonal industry. We're all in an industry that doesn't really let you know when it's going to happen. It's just, hey, we're going to give you a lot of money to do this thing right now. So, no, okay. Yeah, no, no kidding. And then <laughs> you can't really plan too much around that. Mm -hmm. When first baby came, did you, you and your wife think much about time off and planning around that? Well, yeah. I mean, we definitely thought about those things. I mean, I, I obviously have a, a, a unique situation in a few cases, which is that I come from a very large family. So the whole thing about there being a bunch of kids between the three of us in the band there's actually also uh, four other kids in our family. So I, as a young man before the band or anything else, I was pretty familiar with the responsibilities of Big Brother of kind of taking care of kids. So to some extent, uh, that was 
not the biggest concern for me. However, my wife is the youngest of two kids and she didn't have cousins around or anything else. So, I mean, so it was definitely one of those things where there were, there were conversations between she and I that I think I probably didn't anticipate at the time going into. Um, but the biggest challenge that we had was I think I was on the road on tour within two weeks of our son Everett being born, the first child. And then I think I was on the road within two weeks of our second child being born. I think the only one I wasn't on the road for was was Odette, our youngest. And she was saying she's like five and a half, almost six years younger than um, her oldest brother. So, And when you say you're on the road, how long were you away for? <laughs> like a month. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that makes me a fantastic father and a horrible, horrible mate. Horrible husband. <laughs> My wife was like, we are getting divorced right now. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I've been away for, I think, as much as two months at a time from the kids, which we tried to resolve that relatively quickly because we realized at when we did that particular run, it was like, yeah, that's a long time. Mm. You know, especially like my poor wife was like a deer caught in the headlights because our oldest two boys – uh, so we have three kids. Our youngest is a girl. She's right around five and a half years younger than her, her next oldest brother, and then six and a half years younger than her oldest brother. My wife, having those two boys, they are just, they are three days shy of 15 months apart. So they're practically like twins. Mm. Yeah, two under two. And that's tough. They were both in diapers at the same time. They potty trained six months apart from each other. I mean, the whole nine yards. So my wife, being the youngest of two kids, had held a newborn, uh, I think maybe six months before her first child was born, like first time ever. So there was definitely a lot of that, like, what have you done to me? Do you realize how stressed out I mean? And the, and the only saving grace was that uh, my mother, who is the parent of seven kids, was close by and very much able to kind of swoop in and help out. But it was... It was definitely a very intense time in the, those early years and the, and obviously preparation for kids. I mean, you know. And that's one of the things we've discussed on this episode is uh, getting prepared, especially for that first kid. Now, you've got a, a big family, so I imagine mm -hmm. meals weren't a problem. You had bit casseroles being dropped off and people leaving you food, <laughs> or were you prepping like it was, uh, you know, you're, you're entering a tornado shelter. <laughs> you're just stacking the shelf with lots of beans and yeah, things that you can yeah. just throw in a pot. Well, I mean, I think I I think we were prepping like most people do. I think I was probably less nervous about it than my wife was. Uh, so in that sense, I probably don't have a very good perspective. My wife would probably have a lot more interesting things to say about this particular detail. But I will say, I mean, I was honestly, more than anything, I was just excited about it. I thought this was, was going to be fun. Like, what's this kid going to be like? And of course, he's absolutely... His father's son. He is extremely loud, extremely <laughs> rambunctious, extremely extroverted. And my poor introverted wife is like, oh, again, see, this is going to become the theme of the episode. Oh, what have you done to me? <laughs> <laughs> so. I wouldn't be alone. I don't think every dad kind of thinks this before the first first baby. You, you get, if it all goes to plan, you kind of, you get together, you're putting a house together with you and your partner, and then mm -hmm. you've got the money kind of figured out. And then when you start to think about, well, hang on, 
diapers aren't free, going to have to start buying baby beds, start planning for money. What, what would you have to say to somebody who's expecting about what kind of money planning they might need to take into account for in the first year? Save as much as possible. <laughs> because honestly, I don't think it's the diapers that are the more the most intense part. I think ultimately it's all the accessories mm. and all of the things that the kids grow out of yeah. really fast, right? It's like, it's like, that is the cutest outfit I have ever seen. <laughs> that child wore that for four weeks. Yeah. If you're lucky. <laughs> it yeah. still costs exactly the same as everything else. You know, it's just like, I mean, that's why we actually saved an extraordinary amount of money for that reason on child number two. And we were glad it was a boy because yeah. they were both close together. And we were like, oh no, what if it's a girl? We're going to have to buy a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> right. We bought old gender non-specific clothes for that exact reason. And like my, uh, sure. my, our child's seven months. So she's just grown out of that, the three to six month category. And we've got all these great clothes. Like, I think we should have another kid just so we don't waste all these clothes <laughs> for that reason alone. <laughs> hey, you know, that's, hey, I'm for procreation. I, I have three. So I'm with you on that one. <laughs> well, Charlie tells a great story. I was like, he, Charlie's the youngest of nine and oh. uh, most of them sisters. And he tells a great story about answering the door one day for a friend who wanted to come and throw a football around and he's wearing his sister's Garfield pajamas, which <laughs> yeah. were hand-me-downs. <laughs> I had a lot of older sisters. So a lot of my hand-me-downs Ooh. were very uh, gender non-specific, shall we say. I was ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> you, Mom and dad were like, you realize we have nine of you. I'm sorry. You are not getting special pajamas. <laughs> no, I don't think I got like a brand new piece of clothing until I was about 11 years old. Well, I mean, we definitely had some of that too. I mean, I, I kind of had the on the opposite end in some ways, which is that I'm being the oldest of seven kids. I was probably the most likely to get newer clothes, but we were still very much in that thrifty zone because when you're part of a big family, mom and dad are not going to go for the most, you know, shall we say, stylish thing. Yeah. They're definitely going to be looking for the hand-me-down shop and going like, hey, what can we get away with that's not going to cost an arm and a leg because we got a lot of people to feed. <laughs> yeah, I've just been watching The uh, the Last Dance on Netflix, the Michael Jordan Chicago <sighs> Bulls documentary, and they do a whole episode about the partnership with Nike and Air Jordans and stuff. And I remember being 10 years old and asking my mum, could I get a pair of Air Jordans for my birthday? And then opening my present on my birthday it was a, a pair of knockoff aero sports. <laughs> it cost about $15. <laughs> well, you know, I wanted Air Jordans like everyone else did, right? Mm. But I didn't get him, but my little brother did. Mm. I hate that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Comes out every Christmas dinner. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tay. <laughs> you got those really rad, like mostly black with red highlights, yeah. Air Jordans that I was pining after. Nope, didn't get them. You did. And then he proceeded to foul out of every single basketball game he ever played in. What a waste. <laughs> Within the first half. <laughs> That's, speaking of shoes, though, you know, you talk about money planning. We have shoes for a baby that doesn't even walk. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And I, they, give, they were a gift, but someone bought him Air Force Ones. I'm like, he can't walk. <laughs> 
Why would you buy a boy shoe? It's like, he's got pants with pockets. He doesn't use pockets. He's got nothing to put in them. <laughs> Why do his pants have he's, pockets? No, no, no. He's carrying around his binky or whatever, his change, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> binky and some change. He's like, hey, man, you know, sometimes you got to tip the doorman on your way in. Uh, I don't know, whatever. Hush, we've got three sets of Doc Martens ready for Iona to wear. <laughs> Three sets oh, for different, different, different sizes. Oh, She's never going to be out of docks for the first five years. <laughs> you said save when it comes to, uh, you know, the first year and, you know, be mindful of. What's something that you are grateful, Isaac? What's something you're grateful that you paid top dollar for? Oh, well, I believe you guys traditionally call them prams. We would call them strollers. You know what? They're worth spending good money on because some of them are just honestly just easier to take apart and put back together. Some of them are lighter weight. I mean, dude, go with the lighter weight ones because mm. we had an unusual situation with those boys being so close together that we really quickly ended up needing a double stroller because there was, I mean, when they're both in diapers at the same time, I mean, come on. I mean, so I, I would say that the stroller, the pram is, is definitely the one that, you know, I wouldn't skimp on that one. That and probably the car seat because, you know, I mean, it is life and death. This kind of important. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and those, unfortunately, those are those are definitely the pricier items. I mean, mm. you can spend hundreds and hundreds on, on those things. But, of course, then also the go-to thing for me, too, especially as the kids get a little older, once they get out of the, like, truly infant stage, once they're in the, like, 18-month kind of and, and more getting that really lightweight, easy to throw in and throw out of the car or whatever. They're like, I guess I called them umbrella strollers, you know, just a super simple one. That's, mm. that's always great to have. And if you find a good deal on one, just jump on it because you'll need it and you'll use it. That continues our theme, Osh, of uh, the stroller pram debate. We've been having this since episode one of season one. <laughs> Um, yeah. oh, do you all, call it stroller or pram? No, no, not that. Just the idea that like you, you, you always end up going the big ticket one first. So the stroller, you've got the most expensive and, mm-hmm. and then you'll find that the one that's like a quarter of the price that collapses to the size of a handbag, that's the one you end up using more. But having said that, because my wife that's and I, true. We, we travel quite a bit for work and that collapsible one has been great for getting on planes, you know, going through airports, getting in taxis, all that kind of stuff. But the one we got, the heavy-duty, expensive, big-ticket item, because we're housebound like everyone at the moment, that's been so great for going for neighborhood walks, you know? It's just like, I feel like that's our RV, <laughs> and then the other one's more like a little yeah. sports car we can take out on weekends. How about this? Did you know you had so many neighbors? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this time, I mean, like, I was like, oh, hi. Yeah. We haven't met. Oh, yeah, we just live like three, <laughs> three houses down. You're just like, oh, never met you before. Here, quick, it's stay, stay really, distant, though. Stay yeah. distant. I don't want to get your disease. It's, it's actually really nice, Isaac. I, um, you know, I now know the names yeah. of everybody that lives within, uh, you know, 50 meters of where I sleep at night. And a year ago, I lived in an apartment building. I didn't even know that, you know, the names of the people that lived, all the people that live in my apartment building, you know. So it's actually quite nice. I'm, I'm liking it. And, uh, yeah, sure, we're taking an economic kick to the perennium. But I'm, you know, I like the community aspect of what's happening right now. <laughs> No, I agree with you completely. I actually, I think that's one of the really cool parts about this period. The, the Or maybe this is the saving grace of all of this chaos is that I've definitely found myself getting to know people in a way that you wouldn't otherwise get to know them. 
even though it is kind of somewhat restricted by the kind of circumstance, because especially at the beginning, everybody's being especially cautious. Now yeah. that we've been doing this for so long, we're probably all kind of a little bit like, you know, it's, it's fine. We can, <laughs> we'll be a little closer to each other this time. But you, you definitely get to know each other better. And it has definitely been, I mean, the room that I'm in now was a glorified storage space about two and a half weeks ago. But because of this whole thing, I ended up getting my, off, my home office situation you know, spot on because of it, so. Yeah. Yeah, well, if Australia didn't have such a terrible broadband network, <laughs> I would be finding setting up an office in this apartment. But every, and this is like one of four podcasts I do, and it's a constant, and Osh, you'll know this, it's a constant daily battle of like, will we have internet coverage today? Do I have to go to my office oh, really? where I've got better? Yeah, it's it's an absolute yeah. joke. It's so frustrating. It's a real shame. It's kind of like, Isaac, what happened in this country about, it's probably about 10 years ago now. It's kind of like, hey, Everybody, we're bringing the municipal water supply to every home, but you can only have one gallon a day. And that's it. Oh, wow. It's essentially, that's it. As a utility, they've throttled it as a utility and it's, and they're like, you're never going to need more than 100 megabits up and down. Well, guess what? <laughs> I actually went out the front of my apartment the other day and uh, they were working, obviously, on the broadband, the, the NBN. And I went up to the technician because our internet has been down for three weeks or just sporadic for three weeks. And so I went up just to say, hey, are you work? And he obviously has been asked this question every time he goes to work. And he said, look, here's the thing. When you try and install a major telecommunications network on 30-year-old copper wiring, it's not going to hold up. And I was like, okay, man, <laughs> like, I didn't vote for it. It's oh, not me. Man. I just want to know when I'm going to get my internet. And he's gone, it's just such a huge problem that will not be fixed anytime soon just because they committed to the wrong thing. Uh, but, you know. Oh, man. Got to support the mining companies in Australia, copper mining. <laughs> yeah, it's super important. <laughs> We've got off dad talk. <laughs> Brilliant to speak to you, buddy. Thank you so much for staying up late in Oklahoma. Stay safe, wash your hands, and... Um, Thanks so much, brother. Great to see you, Isaac. Thanks, Isaac. Good to go to talk to you. See you, mate. That was great. Isaac was awesome. What time is it in, in, in Tulsa? It's time to, I've, I think, lock yourself away in your in your <laughs> pod cave, away from your family by the sounds of things. He, he didn't want to stop talking. <laughs> like, no, no, I'll keep talking. Okay, what do you need? What do you need? It was late. Hey, we got an email. Uh, I wanted to check an email. If you did want to email us, it's real easy. Askdadpod at gmail.com. This is coming from Al. I'm a new father to be. My wife is in her first trimester and already I've had some moments of little freakouts. Mm. How do you help with her having aches and pains and not automatically thinking something's wrong? Also, are there any tips or tricks or remedies that have helped with your wife and partner's nausea? Al, all very, very common questions and really, you know, little freakouts, mate. What does my buddy uh, Gaza said last night? He said, he's Scottish. He goes, you're not Robinson Crusoe that I'm on. Come on, we're all on that <laughs> island with you. <laughs> we're all had huh. a little freak out, so Sal. So he's Dutch, is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything, every action I ever do either turns into a Dutch person or Scottish. He's Scottish. Uh, yeah, look, Gemma didn't really have much nausea, so I can't really offer any advice in that field. The... The freak out is, uh, like Osh is saying, is completely normal. In fact, I would be more concerned if you were just cruising into this Joe Cool. Like, this is a huge event you're about to go through. But if I can give you any words of assurance, words that I wish I had heard before my baby was born is like, labor is a pretty amazing. You have front row seats for possibly one of the most amazing physical feats you will ever see. I don't know if you're into sport. I don't know if you're into the Olympics. I don't know if you're into the WWE, but whatever, whatever you've seen will pale in comparison to what you're going to watch your partner do. And rest assured that 
this is something that people do all the time, all over the world. It's one of the safest uh, physical events that your partner can go through. It's not a medical procedure. That's the thing. You tend to get nervous thinking, oh, it's like having a triple bypass, whatever. It's not. This is something that the body, her body in particular, was designed to do. And I would just advise you to kind of think about it more like you are front row at the weightlifting and you're about to watch your wife compete for the gold and she's going to get the gold. That's the best part is you know she's got it in the bag. So you just need to be there to support her and cheer her on and also just sit back and enjoy the show because it's fucking amazing. I couldn't agree with you more. Charlie, what about the aches and pains that she might be experiencing in the first trimester and, and instantly going, oh my God, something horrible is happening. That's a little tough to warn it, but I can totally understand that. Yeah. The best way to kind of get over that is to stay away from WebMD. If you yeah. have genuine concerns, talk to a doctor. Yeah. If you have a doula, if you have a nurse, you have a, a midwife you can talk to, they're the best resources. And, you know, we live in a country in which they offer a ton of numbers you can call. There's a midwife phone line you can call. There's a bunch of people you can speak to. So if you are feeling nervous, speak to an expert. Don't do your own research because I think therein lies paranoia. But speak to the experts and also... You know, you can actually maybe help your wife. If she has aches and pains, baths are really great. Anything where she can sort of get a bit weightless. Exercise is really good. 30 years ago, women were sort of told they're in a delicate condition and they were told not to exercise, not to be too active. The thinking around that has changed 180 degrees. So maybe, you know, go for a walk first thing in the morning. It might help with the aches and pains, uh, especially as she gets further into the pregnancy. I know for Jem... Just being in bed in that one position, she'd get stiff and sore because, you know, you're sort of just in carrying that extra weight in one position in the body. So it's just sort of good to get up first thing in the morning and get the body moving. Yeah. And don't forget, she has something growing inside of her, which will ultimately be about uh, anywhere between a fifth to a sixth of her full body weight when all the fluid and everything is involved. So there needs to be a lot of room to accommodate that. So, yeah there's going to be some weird feelings. That's from, from as far as I'm aware, that's what's going to happen. Uh, but exactly what Charlie's talking about, you can also research some things around this acupressure points and things like that, which can help reveal things. We found later in her pregnancy, we found the Swiss ball to be like the only way that Audrey could sit down to bring some uh, space in her pelvis. Oh uh, yeah, the Swiss ball's great. Yeah, because the baby was so heavy on on her pelvis, it was really compacting the, the bottom of her pelvis. It was quite painful for her. But if she was able to get her sit bones on that and put a bit of space in there that was uh brought a quite a bit of relief and as far as nausea i don't know man splurge on the bundaberg ginger beers i reckon <laughs> just get them india they're great audrey loved them during pregnancy flat lemonade flat lemonade fair enough i like the bundaberg ginger beer because then you know, i feel like i'm drinking again because it feels like a study like an <laughs> old school brisbane bitter with a ring pull <laughs> yeah <laughs> Osh, we've come to that part of the show where we induct someone into the Dad Pod Hall of Fame. I love this part of the show because in season two, Charlie, you have, you've gone above and beyond and you've brought us some pretty freaking excellent dads. Okay. I'm just going to give you a clue. If I was to go, da-da-da-da. Uh, Gomez Adams. Gomez Adams, the patriarch of the aforementioned Adams family. I love Gomez Adams. Look, here's the thing about Gomez Adams. That family, freaky. Obviously, that's the whole gimmick. But he loves his wife and he loves his family. He is a dedicated family man. He uh, loves it when his wife speaks. Is it French or Italian? No, what is it? Is his wife speaks Latin. What makes his French? It's French. Yeah, that she makes French. him go bananas. Uh, he loves his kids. He's always in the basement playing with the model train sets, smashing the trains together and causing explosions. 
multi-billionaire. I mean, I don't know exactly what he does for a living, but he provides for his family. He's ha- he's, you would know this, Osh. He has the extended family over all the time. Cousin Nick comes to stay, Uncle Fester. Yes. This is a dude who loves his family. There's a lot to be taken from Gomez Adams. Absolutely devoted to his children. And even the, even the kids who have their eccentricities and have their oddness, doesn't mind. Embraces them. Adores them. Adores yeah. Wednesday. Adores her completely. It's, it's beautiful. Interestingly, in the film adaption of the Adams family, which one? The uh, the Raul Julia one. Yes, the Raul Julia one. Uh, Pugsley yeah. was that the boy's name? Yep. Pugsley is the meme of the man, my lady, holding the uh, fedora. That's him. What? <laughs> that is my humble bloody hell. But- you learn something new every there day. There you go. And Gomez would have loved him for it. <laughs> Gomez Adams, Dad Pod salutes you. Da 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 da. Dad Pod cannot afford to pay the licensing for that fee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that brings us to another episode, the end of episode nine of Dad Pod. Thank you very much to everyone that helped us make the show. Thank you to Isaac Hansen for joining us all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're going to wrap up the season next week uh, with a, a cracker of a dad, Peter Fitzsimons. Ooh, wear your bandana in honour. Former Australian wallaby, doesn't pull any punches. I'm looking forward to getting a, a good, solid halftime talk. Uh <laughs> <laughs> And if people want to uh, send us an email, where can they do that, Osh? Askdadpod at gmail.com is where we are. We're also on the gram. Instagram. is where we are. And if you like the show, if it does bring you value, the best thing you can probably do for us is tell somebody else about it. And rate uh, on, on iTunes. What do you do? I can never rate, like, subscribe or some exactly. shit. Rate, review, <laughs> oh, and comment. I'm terrible at this. There we go. Rate, review, and comment. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Don't forget your catchphrase. Oh, go to bed. <laughs>